Shut up and sit down. Welcome to Game the System Podcast Episode 3, a podcast about the people that play uh, retro, arcade, modern, pinball, board games, and anything else we can think of, anything else that's fun and interesting. It's 15th February 2018, see I didn't look at my watch this time, <laughs> <laughs> and my name's Mark Bell. My name's John. My name's Matt. Are you guys going to continue doing this? Leaving off last name things. I feel weird. You're letting me float out there in the wind. <laughs> I feel like if I say my last name, it's like I'm being called into a job interview or something like. Oh, yeah. Okay. This is just about video games. <laughs> so, um, Keep it casual. I'm just John when I play video games. Just John. Or sometimes I'm Super Scoop XX. No, that's, <laughs> that's, not, my, that's not my online handle. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, uh, what, what, before what, you go further, what, yeah, <laughs> I you cut off the games part. Cut People who play games, part. uh, yeah, yeah. Well, the the tagline of um, game the system has always been people that play, mm. and so the last two episodes I have had that little bit at the end of that mm. people who play games, yeah, but it doesn't fit with the rest of the you know. Mm. Yeah. So I thought I'd just cut it off. Yeah. It's like, like a real marketing thing or something like that. Not quite. Yeah. <laughs> Could you say hello and welcome? <coughs> no, I missed that part. I was going to say that. Next time. Okay. I'll write it down next time. Yeah, that's important. <laughs> now that we've got that out of the way. Yeah, yeah uh, I thought we'd start with something a little bit different and we can start with reader feedback. Yep. And we have one. Cool. <laughs> um, friend of the show, we can call him friend of the show, mm. Mark Williams. Mm-hmm. We're all quite familiar with Mark Williams, mm-hmm. a friend of ours. Yep. He would like to know what our thoughts are on Mule. Ah. The board game that we all played probably a couple of months back. Yeah. Um, and this is the board game that was based or is based off the old video game. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think it's Commodore 64, is it on anything else? Uh, <coughs> yeah. It, I'm pretty sure it's on something else. Right. <laughs> yeah, I forgot. Okay. Was it, wasn't it just on PC as well? Or is that... I think it's on PC. Well, you can go to a website now and play it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But, um, so technically, yes, it's on PC. Right. Um, but wasn't it on PC back in the day? I don't know. Well, Mark would know. We'll never we know. We should ask him. In yeah. fact, you'll probably provide feedback and say. <laughs> <laughs> feedback. In feedback on four. the feedback. Um, so, yeah, what did we think of Mule? Mm. Um, and he also asks, has there been any other recent tabletop gaming experiences from any of us? Mm-hmm. And I'll just throw it open to the floor. So... Oh, I'm asking... Oh, okay. <laughs> it's a good game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think once you, you sounded get like a, a nonna then. It's a no. good game. <laughs> <laughs> I guess once you get where how to win, you can see what you're supposed to do and try to plan ahead. Mm. 
that may or may not go to plan. And so that's the kind of thing I thought was good about it. Mm. You, you mm. can be foiled by everybody else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you can kind of see what you need to do. Yeah. yeah, after a while. I think it took us probably three quarters of the time playing that game was us trying to work out what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mark knew what he was doing, obviously. Mm. And he was doing a really good job you know, showing us what to do and guiding mm. us and all that kind of stuff. But mm. even with that, you still don't get the context of what you're trying to do and why you're doing the things you're doing mm. until I think much later on when it's yeah. where... Yeah, it clicks in at some yeah, point. Yeah, clicks in, yeah. I, I guess like a lot of board games, you know, the first time you play it, you have, yeah, you have that thing where you don't really know what to do, but then the second time, you know what's going to happen, so you can plan for, for the future of the game. Mm. And But I definitely had a moment about halfway through the game where I started to understand how you're supposed to gain your resources and, you know, um, the points. It's the point mm. system, wasn't it? I don't remember exactly. Well, I was just going to ask, does anyone remember what... Like, could we explain the basic nature of the game, or is That's it probably a good idea? We've only played it once, <laughs> and it was so long ago that no one can really remember. Or it's it's pretty much a resource like game, is it economic kind of thing. Yeah. You buy and sell things. Yeah. Mm. So you you do gather some resources, but ultimately trying to sell it at a high price. So mm. right now, Mark Williams, and I have to use his full name because there's so many marks. There's a few and there's a lot of mats there. as well, but usually there's oh, the wait. most around. Is there's there's not the many Johns. Johns. There's not many Johns. In this case, not. So I just realised we're like so close to having the Bible set. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we need a Paul. <laughs> we'll have to get Kaz in. Um, anyway, uh, what were we talking about? Mule. Yeah. And what it, what it is. Yeah. What, what you do. Yeah, I remember it was uh, about. You would, it, it is gathering the resources, but it's also then selling them at a time that's the most profitable. So mm. it is basically economics. But I don't remember if you were selling it for like dollars or if there was some weird. I think there was some weird um, currency or something of the game. And right now, Mark's probably He's tearing probably his really hair upset. Out going, yeah. oh, <laughs> you idiots! I trained you for hours. <laughs> you don't remember anything. But we had fun. Yeah, I thought so it was great. I had a really good time. I loved it. Mm. And yeah, as as I was saying before, once it clicked, like, and I realised, okay, this is what I need to do to try and win. I started planning like three or four moves ahead mm. because you can if you can visualize in your mind what you think is going to happen in the economy of the game based on who's doing what. Mm. Um, you can try and try and make moves that are going to be profitable mm. for you. So it was about watching what other people were doing mm. and... And how much was sold would change the market value. Yeah. So if someone went before you and sold a whole heap mm. of stuff, then suddenly the thing that you were thinking of selling and getting all this cash for mm. is now worth nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Very so much like trading Bitcoin. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> or cryptocurrencies. <laughs> Don't start John on Bitcoin. No, no. Or no. crypto. <laughs> <laughs> so I'd say as well, there was, because there's a few ways to win, 
that's that's another kind of good bit, but you don't know really that the other person mm. until you get like deep enough into the game. You don't know really yeah. what the other way like if they're trying to win the same way as mm. you. That's bad. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So, I think in the end we we diverged enough to have our own little niche, mm. but. Mm. I think a lot of games that are well designed have an element where sometimes it can seem like there's one person that's winning, but um, you know there's other ways that you can win the game. And when you get to the end, you realise that that person wasn't as far ahead as what they thought, and this other person who you didn't think was a threat, all of a sudden they win the game. Oh, we have a cat on the table. Yep. We can keep talking while there's a cat on the table. You're okay with that? Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can just push her off if you. You cruel bastard. Like yeah. Well, that's why. That's the nature of our relationship. Right. She goes places I don't want her to be, and I push her, move off. her away from those places. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it seemed like. Because um, Matt, you won, right? I think so, yeah. yeah. It, it was close in the end. It came down to the the global card they draw every round. Yeah. yeah. It felt like... That's right. It was... Because at the end, there's a random element that that resource, the purple one, I can't remember what it was, yeah. um, it becomes worth like a random amount on the last turn. Mm. And that can determine who wins based on who has that, that um, resource. So... Mm. You know, someone's gathering that resource, basically betting that it's going to be worth a lot. And I think in that case, Mark Williams had was doing that. Or was yeah. you had some too, I think. Yeah, Mark. I think we were all stockpiling in the end and hoping for the best. <laughs> well, I think because the turn before, wasn't it really high or something? Like the second last or third last turn, it was quite high. Mm. It, and then it dropped or something like that. Yeah. Well, it came out at the lowest it could be, which was four, mm. I remember. Mm. And you just had a stack of something that suddenly the market just exploded for. Yeah, yeah well, I, I, halfway through the game, I was just going for the, like, the normal minerals, I think. And halfway through the game, everybody sold up before me, and I was like so stressed. <laughs> like, oh, no, I missed my opportunity to make all the money. Yeah. Oh, now I remember. And then, and then I'm trying to, trying to, uh, you know, like, sort of, like, slowly push people to doing other things and trying to just, uh, you know, prop up the market just a little bit, just a little bit longer. Hmm. For it to recover. I remember now, I mean, I'm looking it up on my phone, but the resources were, um, I think it was food, and then it was like the actual meals themselves, and then there was an orange one and the purple one. But hang on, I'm looking it up. This so am I right in thinking that what, how you won the game just happened... Like it was just happenstance, like the market just happened to explode just as you were about to sell, or were you actually planning for that? No, I, like I thought I was going to lose, but in, as it turns out, it, the, it, when everyone dumped all their resource at the same time, um, I thought it was going to be bad, but it wasn't as bad as it turned out to be. Mm. And I think my, I think I intentionally like bought some stuff. I, I did something else just to keep the level of the the mule, the blue one. In a range where yeah. it wasn't going to fall all the way down. I remember mm. that too. And then, and then it just came back to the top. Yeah. And by that time, it was like two more rounds later, and I had tons and tons of yeah, whatever. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm forgetting all the names of things. It has been yeah. a couple, few months it's since been we played. It's been a while. Right? Yeah. yeah. And I did really enjoy that game, and I think we all did. And I've been saying to Mark for a while, we need to 
play that game again now that we know what we're doing, even though now we've all forgotten. <laughs> but um, once we get into it, we'll remember it again. And we can properly, properly strategize rather than sitting there for three hours just trying to get grasp of the game mm. itself. So it's uh, so the resources are um, smith ore, yeah. which is what you needed to create the mules, mm. and then uh, crystallite, which is the luxury, the purple one. That's. I think yeah. that's what I was stockpiling. And I think that one just goes up in value throughout the game, and then on the last turn, it's random, I think, from memory. Um, and there's energy, which you need to run your mules. Yep. So each turn, you gathered resources based on having mules running on a certain spot. Mm, and a tile. Depending on the tile, yeah, yeah, it gathered a certain amount. But you had to have the mule on it and the energy to run the mule. Yeah. Um, I thought there was a fourth one, but maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, did you, did you say food? I did say food, but okay, it's not on the right. list here, <coughs> so I could be wrong. Yeah, it doesn't really make sense because it was all robotics. Like there was no people, so I don't think you needed food. I don't remember. So <laughs> Mark Williams is again sharing <laughs> Sarah. I'm sorry, Mark. I don't remember. There's going to be another twenty paragraph post. <laughs> But it was fun. We had fun. Isn't yeah, that what it was matters? great. It was great. <laughs> um, yeah, I remember in the game, there was a bit of play around the smith ore and the mules themselves. Because um, I, I think I stockpiled them earlier, and I was trying to drive down the price after I'd sold or something like that. Huh. But then you thwarted my actions, and they ended up being still worth something. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think probably we all started on that because it seems like the easiest thing. Like it's, it was like, kind of seems like it's the standard currency or you know resource or whatever. So I think everybody went for it. Well, you needed mm -hmm. to make the mules too, don't you? Like you had two smith or you could turn into a mule. I think that's how it worked from memory. Mm. So you you needed it no matter what. Everyone yeah. needed it at the start, and you, everyone needs a certain amount of energy. Yeah. Mm. No, it was really fun. Everyone enjoyed it. Mm. Mm -hmm. um, and on to the second part of his question, is there any other board games or tabletop games that anyone's been playing recently? Mm. Just recently. I played Eclipse. Ah, yeah, how's that? Do you know this? No. It's, so it's a space-themed... Um, is that the... It's like a... They call it a living card game? Is that really? that one? It's not a card game. Oh, okay. I'm thinking of something <laughs> else then. Is it a board I'm pretty game? sure it's called Eclipse. Mm. No, you're probably right. Oh, is that... You just yeah, you talk about it. I'll stop trying. So to guess it's then. a <laughs> you have your race. It's called. It's a bit yeah. So it's basically this far out space game. You choose your far out as in I mean far out. Cool. <laughs> you Sorry. you choose your race and they may be like really weird looking and they have abilities and stuff. Anyway, you do some exploration. You get you know, resources. Basically, you buy ships and you go and attack the other guys, maybe. Is mm. this one of those Well, you just colonize planets and get money and stuff. Hmm. Is this a game that you need, like, the whole day to play? No, it doesn't take that long. Okay. No. Like, I think we probably... Uh, I mean, a couple hours, I guess. Yeah. 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 How many people? This time was three. I've played it once before with four players. Okay. Mm -hmm. So is it... Do you need a whole table for it? Yeah, so you, <coughs> the board starts out, you just got like it's one, the middle block and then like 
you know, place, you know, what do you call this? You know, the tile, the tile, that's right. right. So you have the middle <laughs> tile and then one for each player and you kind of expand out, like you, oh. on your turn you can explore, you that know, an cool. adjacent thingy. So you, you're mm. growing the mm. universe yeah. as you go. Mm. The whole, yeah, modular tile thing is um, more popular. Well, it seems to be getting some popularity at the moment. But um, I think for a game like that, it sounds really good. Like, in, you're exploring space, yeah. and everyone starts in a different area. Yeah. Mm. And so it really makes sense for a game like that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Mule had similar thing, right? I mean, you started off, yes. you chose your starting position, and then you're exploring areas to yep. find resources and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, that's true. But you never meet each other or anything like that. Mm. Yeah. So this one, the board grows organically, like depending on how you want to play. So you may not, if you're not trying to be aggressive, you probably explore like outwards and mm -hmm. just colonize. Yep. But if you, you know, if you're exploring towards another player, it's a bit of a tell maybe. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like there might be interesting yeah. things. And that kind of happened in this game because <laughs> one player was exploring. He was trying, you know, his intention was to just be, you know, the, the friendly race, yeah. Yeah. But his exploration got so far that it linked up to another player, and then suddenly they're all just buying ships like right on their border, <laughs> just getting ready to <laughs> have this big battle. Wow. Nice. So was it good? Yeah, it's good. Hmm. Well, you played it more than once, so it must be good. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Ringing endorsement so for Eclipse. <laughs> because I'm, I'm not like the primary board game player, so I'm not choosing the games, yeah. hmm. especially. This is what we're playing? Yeah, cool. Yeah, okay. right. Cool. What about you, John? Have yep. you played anything board game-ish, tabletop? Uh, um, yes, I have. Played a few things. Um, I played a game with some friends of mine over the break, like Christmas break. Mm -hmm. um, it was, I forget what it was called, which is not very helpful, but no. it was quite fun. And it was basically like, I'd imagine it as a four-player Connect Four um, that basically just works flat on a table. So you've got these square blocks. So rather than like the round chips that Connect Four has, they're just square um, tiles. Mm -hmm. And... You, there's a starting tile and then each person takes a turn to put one down and it has to be connected to one of your colour like, oh actually no, it doesn't have to be connected to your colour it just has to be connected to a tile mm -hmm. and you have to try and make a line of five right. um, and it's really fun because it's just like Connect Four where you know, you're always trying to set up the double-sided win mm. where you've got you know, that four in a row with both sides empty so that they can block you on one side but they can't block you on every side. Hmm. But because it's four player, you need more than just a double sided win. You need like a quadruple sided win because there's three people that can block you in between yeah. your turn. Um, but only if they notice what's going on because there's so many tiles, it gets very complicated. Hmm. And, and everyone else is trying to do the same thing. Yeah, and, and hmm. also they're trying to set up their own moves, right? So hmm. a lot of the time you just don't realize, you know, it only takes one person not to realise that someone's set up a win. Mm. And and obviously a rule of the game is that you're not allowed to talk to each other and help each other. You can't go, oh, you've got a blocker there. You know? So, um, yeah, so <laughs> it's funny because you're sitting there like, I really hope 
that that person notices that this other person's about to win because they need to block them right now. Or And you're not allowed to say anything? No, you're not allowed to... Well, you can talk to each other, but you're not allowed to tell someone that someone else is about to win. Right. So it's against the rules to... Um, Collude. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, or collaborate. Because if that was the case, no one would ever win because it would only take one person to want notice and then it would be over. But mm, mm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you end up just hoping that other people have noticed or sometimes I was doing... being a bit cheeky and like... Say someone had set up a, a, a two-sided win because there's three of us, right? And if that person that set up the win was just before me, there's still, then I go, then there's still two more turns. So if I don't block them, that means the other two people have to block. Uh, yeah. And so I get to use my turn to do what I want and then they have to block. Uh, but it's still a risk because- If they see it. As long as they see it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so very simple, but it was really fun. Hmm. Fun game. Um, yeah, so I played that, and then the other thing that I should probably mention is I've been playing, it's actually a really long time ago now, but <laughs> some uh, Games Workshop games, always playing those. It's kind of an ongoing hobby that I weave in and out of my life, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's, a, it's very time consuming and it's also very expensive. But are you, are you playing the game or are you painting? No. For me, primarily, I enjoy playing the game. Right. I think because I do love playing games, I love playing the game. I do like painting too, but I would say that I enjoy playing more than the painting mm. side of it. Mm. So sometimes I play with unpainted models, which is... But that goes back to the expensive part because mm. I find playing those sort of tabletop games is difficult because you need another player mm. or other players mm. with an army mm. and everyone needs to have those massive amount of resources mm. to be able to have a game. Mm. So it always felt a barrier of entry to me into those games mm. even though I'd kind of like to play them mm. because you have to find those other people that have all that stuff as well. Yeah. Whereas painting them, you can always buy a couple of you know, some paints and start painting away and enjoy it that way. Yeah, that's true. There, there is, though, alternatives to Games Workshop games. Like, Games Workshop models are awesome, but, yeah, they're very expensive, And but there is alternatives. So um, what I would prefer even to talk about other than Games Workshop was another game I played called um, Frostgrave, which I think I've told you about in the past. And the awesome thing about Frostgrave and, and games like it, because there are other games like it, is they're designed to work with a small amount of models in comparison to what games, workshop games generally are, which is like a hundred models. So um, with Frostgrave, you're using between like 10 and 15 models and it's actually got a really cool story. The whole idea is you are in a world which is experiencing kind of like a nuclear winter, but it's it's a fantasy based world. So it's almost like instead of a a big nuclear war, they had this big mage war and Mm. the magicians basically destroyed the planet and caused like this never ending winter. Typical. Yeah. And so, but the cool thing about it is that there's all these ruined cities. The idea is that there's these ruined cities and there's all this treasure in the ruined cities. So Mm. you have a war band of um, hired mercenaries 
and your main character is a wizard um, and he's taking his warband into a city to try and collect um, treasure hmm. and so that's what the game is about trying to collect treasure so you don't necessarily you're not necessarily fighting but of course inevitably you do end up fighting over the treasure hmm. um, but the main victory condition is um, once all the treasure is gathered whoever has the most wins the game right. and depending on how many people are playing would depend on how much treasure is on the map hmm. um, but it can be like four or six pieces and they get randomly placed on the map um, you take turns with your opponent placing them on the map and then there's rules about where you can place it and stuff hmm. but yeah basically you're exploring a ruined city and it's a cool concept yeah and I then like on top of that the other thing I love about games like this is it's it's set up to be a campaign so after you fight, after you play, and then you gather all your treasure and you roll the dice to see what is in the treasure. And so you can find items and obviously gold, which you can spend in a shop to get more items and equip your, your heroes with different weapons and armor and your magician, your wizard actually levels up mm. and he can gain new skills and new spells. And there's heaps of spells. There's like 120 spells or something in the game. It's very similar to D&D kind of spells. Yeah, right. And there's lots of different stuff you can do. Like one and of those skills persists from game to game. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's a campaign. So you, yeah, you play a game which takes like an hour and a half or whatever. And then you can come back next time and your wizard's leveled up and he's got all the same things and all your guys are the same. And if they die or get knocked out in battle, then they take an injury. Um, it's very similar to Mordheim, if people have played Mordheim, which is a games workshop game. Hmm. It's, they, they stopped selling Mordheim in games workshop, and I think it's because they started getting rid of all those games that were like low miniature, that weren't expensive to play, basically. Yeah, right. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, I've heard that they're bringing it back. They've made a PC version of Mordheim. Anyway, that's something else, but yeah, Frostgrave is really fun, and it's fun to level your wizard up, and the ultimate goal of the game is actually for your wizard to ascend. Once he gets to, like, level 20, he ascends, and that's you basically winning the campaign. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's really interesting. Like, it's got this really so interesting... So, do, do your skills, levels, and stuff persist, and then end at the end of the campaign, or does it like you know move from campaign to campaign so say you get your wizard up to level five or whatever mm. you finish their campaign the next campaign you start does your wizard start at level five um well i think you wouldn't you probably wouldn't finish a campaign at level five yeah but i, I guess what i guess what you're asking well the way that it works is i guess once the campaign's finished then you would probably start again but it takes mm. a lot longer than it takes a, would take a while, I think. It would take, to, for your wizard to get to level 20, I mean, I guess you'd have to have at least like 20 games. Right. Which would take a while. Okay. So, yeah. Hmm. But yeah. Yeah. But just as an example of some of the spells, one of the strategies I was using was, uh, I had this thing called the wizard eye, which was basically within the wizard's line of sight, he could put a token on the map and that becomes his wizard eye and it had like a 45 degree view of where it from wherever it was and the wizard can cast spells through the wizard eye 
and the range is started from where the wizard eye is. So mm. you could essentially, you could put the wizard eye down and then hide in a little hut or something so that archers and stuff couldn't get your wizard and then just like send fireballs through the wizard eye mm. at your enemies as long as they were within that 45 degree mm. range. And you could also do things like teleport the treasure from where it was closer to you. Yeah, um, right. yeah and if you had the wizard eye in a good place, you could use it to do that. So that was one of my strategies. It didn't really work out as good as I'd hoped, but mm, that's never just does. the way things work. <laughs> but yeah, okay. that was a really cool. Yeah, that does sound cool. Game, mm. and and a good alternative if you want to play a game like that, but you don't want to basically spend like hundreds of dollars at Games Workshop. Yeah. Every time I every time I dip back into it, I just spend so much more money than I really want to. Mm. And compared to video games, it's, um, I think video gamers don't realise that their hobby is very cheap compared yeah. to other hobbies. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Alright, speaking of video games, mm. well, not necessarily just video games, uh, perhaps we should talk about what we've been doing in the last week or so in gaming. I'm looking at you, Matt, because you haven't gone first yet. <laughs> Haven't I? No, okay. but you can. That's true. Oh, you mean in the segment? Yeah. <laughs> so, so basically, this is River Raid update. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, so where we left everyone last we time, need like a River Raid update. Last episode yeah. <laughs> in River Raid. <laughs> the River Previously. Raid update. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I had the game programmed. Well, as in like you know the. Well, you could download the cart and play it, right? On an emulator. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I did, by the way. Yeah, yeah. I'm not endorsing piracy or anything. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, you took the Activision logo off, so it's fine. Isn't it past yeah. like a certain year now, so it's not really piracy anymore or something? Isn't it? In the no, because domain? the Mickey Mouse law means copyright oh. basically forever. Okay. The um, Mickey Mouse law? Uh, it's some story. Okay, let's not go Isn't that it. how a bunch of Nintendo games are now like on Flash yeah. websites? You can play them for free. No. Um, no, I think that's no. just because they don't bother chasing them down. Yeah. But really Nintendo, the copyright is going to last forever. If yeah. anyone was going to do it, Nintendo would do mm. it. <laughs> Especially with, since they've got those classics. Anyway. Um, so maybe, the next day Maybe Mark Williams can tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Friend of the show, Mark Williams. <laughs> the next step is to put it into a cartridge. And all I've done so far... Well... Okay, so... When you when you look at how to put your game into an Atari cartridge, um, there's actually a bunch of good resources online to do this, but all of them use EEPROMs to you know put your own ROM, you mm -hmm. know, put the the game onto an EEPROM. Erasable, reprogrammable. Erasable, programmable, read-only memory. Yeah. But this is the type that's the UV light ones, the one with the window on it, and you erase it by you know putting it into a little UV light, or you can leave them in the sun, apparently. Hmm. But this was offensive to me. I don't want to use... <laughs> it seems like technology from last century, and so... I Wait, decided I wasn't... Wait, I know. Technology I, from last right. century. Yeah, so I'm hypocrite here. I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've just noticed a really big flaw in your plan. <laughs> so, anyway, for some reason I'm going the hard way, and I'm using an EEPROM, which is the... The the type where you just pr you just the electronically erasable. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, you just put it in the programmer, a programmer, instead of having to do this erase step. 
Mm -hmm. um, and you can also just change one bit at a time instead of having to do the whole thing over. Right. Z-proms, the, the UVE proms are pretty sure don't let you just change like one bit at a time. You always have to start over. So what sort of ROMs did they have in the original cartridges? Well, look, I, think they, I think they just call it mask ROM. It's just ROM. Basically, it's hmm. made in a factory and it's always like that. Yeah. And you can't reprogram them? I don't know. No, you can't, you can't reprogram them definitely. So there, there may be cases where they did use a programmable ROM, but I'm um, not aware hmm. exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And so I built a EEPROM programmer out of an Arduino-compatible microcontroller on I've a breadboard. I've this word before to me, but I don't know what it is. Which, which word? The word that I don't understand. Breadboard <laughs> or Arduino? That one. <laughs> Arduino is a... Is that like an anteater <laughs> or something? <laughs> I don't know what the word means, really. But basically, it's a platform for hobbyists oh, it's a, to... It's like a, a pie. Very southern state of Mexico. Yeah, you can think of it like Raspberry Pi, but it's for microcontrollers. Where Raspberry Pi is like a hobbyist little computer, computer that yeah. you, you program, you can, and it's got special. Yeah. It's got pins on. Things so electronics people can do things to it. Yeah. The GPIO on Raspberry Pi. And Arduino is kind of. It's not a computer. Just all it does really is control those those pins, those I/O pins. Hmm. And it's set up in a way that they've got an IDE and. Kind of everyone knows what's going on. It's a so this thing is the one I'm using is called TNT. So it's not really Arduino, but they just use the same libraries and it's compatible anyway. Hmm. Works more or less the same way. Um, yeah, so put all that together on a breadboard, tons of wires, mm. and I got the EEPROM programmed, and that's the last useful thing I've done. And if you want to see the breadboard, it's on the Game the System forum. That's right. Yeah. In I have a thread it scary. where I'm basically logging all the things I've done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I've got photos now. Mm -hmm. It looks very cool. <laughs> and you'll also find in there Mark Williams criticising your breadboard outlay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, because I also posted like the inspiration for... Well, the reason I knew I could do the EEPROM program is because I'd been watching a series where a guy made an entire computer or CPU on breadboards. Hmm. It's, it's a great series. It's, like, it's been going on for like six months. And the series is how to build a computer basically on a breadboard. Hmm. And this guy uses um, cut length wires. And so his ones are really neat. Hmm. Yeah, but mine is just wires up everywhere because I'm just using right. what I have. Who's <laughs> this guy? What's his channel? Uh, it's Ben Eder. So on YouTube, um, has some videos, and then most majority of the videos are basically about this breadboard computer. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really great if you want to know how CPUs work, kind of inside. Like it's it's really cut down. It's a really simple computer, but the concepts more or less are the same as at least eight-bit systems that we're talking about, like the Atari. Hmm. <laughs> so how does how does what you're doing there eventually morph into a cartridge? Okay, so I've got to take that chip that I've programmed and put it onto a PCB that will fit inside cartridge housing that you then plug into the system. So the mm. breadboard at the moment is doing what the PCB would do. No, so all, all that all that breadboard's doing is so that I could program the EEPROM. Ah, oh, okay. Right. So it's basically done now. I can chuck it out, but I'm sure I'm going to have to go back. If there is a bug, I've got to use this programmer again to fix the 
problem. Yep. Hmm. Um, but more or less, that step is over. So if I don't discover any issues, you know, that can just be pulled aside. Mm -hmm. hmm. So I can't actually, I need to ask you a question. <laughs> uh oh. Because the next step is, uh, there's a little crossroads uh, that I come to, and there's a bunch of decisions I have to make, and ultimately comes down to this thing. <laughs> is ethically, is it okay to take an existing Atari cartridge and bust it apart to put my game in? <laughs> Ooh. Is it an ET cartridge? <laughs> See, maybe not. Okay, so... <laughs> you can't get like a reproduction cartridge? Can't you just go out in the backyard and dig in the dirt and find an ET cartridge uh, or something like that? Some places you apparently can do that. <laughs> um, because I'm, another thing I'm making it hard for myself is I'm really enamored about the... Um, the Activision cartridges, because mm -hmm. Red's an Activision game, and they had a specific like look to their, they can't like the plastic mold. Remind me what yeah. it looks like. Um, so most of the the original Atari games were um, kind of squared off on on each end. They're rounded. Uh, so basically, the label end is totally flat, mm -hmm. right? But the Activision ones, the label curls over the back to the front. It's one. Uh, the, right. the label's one sticker. Mm -hmm. And there's like a little styling in it as well. And mm. It says Activision. Right. And that's the kind that I want. <laughs> you know what we could do? We could 3D print it. Yes, uh, so that's one of the considerations. But <laughs> I couldn't find uh, an existing 3D print model. And also the detail is quite small. So yeah. I don't know what it would really turn out. Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> well, I'm sure there's millions of cartridges. I don't think the world will miss one. But at the same yeah. time, being a retro gamer collector, it does hurt when people do that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Just don't tell anyone. Just, just do don't it. tell just anyone. Just don't it's tell anyone. It's not like tape <laughs> where you could just get a a tape and do it. It's not something that was used in another application. Mm. You know. mm. So if there are reproduction carts, that'd be okay. But I have to know that I've got one, which I don't. There's um, there are like new. Atari games that come out. Yeah. Okay. You could so buy one of those and then rip that apart, and no mm. one's going to be upset about that, right? So I get the feeling sometimes they do that. They just take existing carts. The, oh. but also the I'm not sure exactly like whether people do. But then the the service on Atari Age, which I don't know that I mentioned, you you can you can basically get your custom game. You just send them oh, the ROM yeah. and the label, and they'll print it and put it on a thing and send you back the cartridge. So I don't know mm. if they're manufacturing cartridges or if they're repurposing. Hmm. I'm not sure about that. But the ones that but anyway the ones that they're doing aren't the Activision style. Right. If you were doing it in any kind of uh, mass, surely you'd reproduce it. Because plastics factories can make that stuff. It's not yeah. that expensive. It'd be hmm. cheaper to make your own than to use a cartridge that already exists. Even if it's a shitty E T or whatever, it's still gonna be Less than like an ET might cost you like a dollar or two dollars or something. I don't know what they cost, but um, to manufacture a, a plastic cartridge would be in sense, surely, if you did it as long as you ordered, you had a certain amount. Made. Yeah, but maybe then you have to order a hundred or something like that. But if you had a website where you were um, making cartridges for people, a hundred wouldn't be that many. Hmm. If you had any kind of capital to invest, you would order like a thousand. Yeah, but then you're expecting to make a business out of it. And and how many Atari games are released? Isn't that what they're doing, though? This yeah. website? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, they sell one oh, at right. a time, but also 
there's also a line down there where like, well, if you're doing a big order, just let us know. Hmm. Yeah. Which I think what the, um, you know, when people are making their own game hmm. from scratch, that's what they do. Yeah. I think there'd be enough to make a business. Maybe in this country it might be hard. <laughs> hmm. In the US, so you'd be fine, I reckon. We do have China right next to us, though. But yeah. even in saying that, I think importing yeah. and stuff like that yeah. is still a killer, working regardless. With, working with China is a challenge. Mm. Unless it's something that they're already making, that you're happy with the quality. Mm. But if you want to make sure that it's up to a standard that you want... So forget about ripping open a cartridge. Just start a business <laughs> manufacturing <laughs> cartridges from China. But really the question was, are the people that have already started a business using reproductions or are they actually pulling apart actual Yeah, so I'm not quite sure. No, I reckon the answer is that they'd be making them. Yeah. But I guess you can check. Surely you can just ask them. Yeah, mm. yeah it'd be interesting to know because um, just remembering I've got Halo for Atari 2600. Yeah. Um, and that's fully licensed and endorsed. Um, but I can't, yeah, I wouldn't know what the cartridge manufacturing was. But yeah. Interesting conundrum. Yeah. <laughs> Just do it and don't tell anyone. <laughs> well, I mean, the problem will be when, <laughs> like, oh, I want River Aid TE Tournament <laughs> Edition. <laughs> <laughs> Is so that what it's going to be called? Yeah, River Aid TE. Really? Yeah, oh, that's pretty good. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you call it River Raid Jam TE. <laughs> Hyper fighting. <laughs> yeah. Plus Turbo. Super Champion Edition. Dash. So I guess if I if I come across an Activision cartridge where the label is totally ruined, I guess you could just you know, or the label fell off for some reason. You know, I guess I could just unscrew it and just quickly put my hand in the normal way. You don't do you have to destroy it? Yeah, the label the, there's a screw I mean besides the label. I believe underneath the label there's at least one screw. Maybe mm. two. But when you when the label's off, forgetting the label, mm. can you just open it up and then you're done? Mm. Right. So you're only worried about the label. Yeah, but that's, I mean, <laughs> that's part of having the game, right? If you, you as a collector, I mean, if you've got the, the oh, game with a label or without a label, there's a difference. If, if you had it without the label, that'd be crap. Yeah. Yeah. I might have a cartridge without a label. And actually, fortunately, <laughs> I can have a look. Fortunately, the these, these Activision carts actually have particularly bad labels. Out of all the Atari games you see, I'm pretty sure the Activision ones are always the worst. There's something to do with the label they used or the glue. No, actually, no. Ah, they, they get Curling these be dark splotches on them, hmm. which doesn't seem to happen to any of the others, like the, the stock Atari ones, even the Parker Brothers, hmm. which are all the types you see. Yeah. So you're more likely to find a bad label on an Activision cart than anything else, I think. Sounds like you're trying to convince yourself. <laughs> no, but I, I mean, just fortunately, it's possible I might find one, but I don't have one. Hmm. I can't see how it'd be hard to find one. Well, I mean, I, need, I looked on eBay once and didn't, didn't see anything. <laughs> Atari 2600 cartridge, <laughs> no label. label. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, so how much does this business charge to make the game for you? Oh, it's 25 bucks. They, they burn really? the ROM, do the label, and send you the cart. But then it hasn't oh. been handmade by Matt. Yeah, no. I mean, I'm not saying you should do it. I'm just curious about the cost. Hmm. Hmm. 
But they did say that they would do special deals for bold quarters. Yes. Yeah. I thought you were going to think about jumping ahead of him then. <laughs> You're going to take my game until Download the ROM, <laughs> send it up to Atari Age. <laughs> be forever this massive... Uh, River Raid Tournament Edition by John Pansini. <laughs> that was really made by Matt, Matt Tolhurst. <laughs> <laughs> Matt becomes like the... Um, what is it? The Homer Simpson to Mo, and he's um, <laughs> what was that drink? The Flame and Mo. The Flame and Mo. Yeah, you can steal the Flaming Mo. It's here <laughs> right now to take. <laughs> I was thinking of um, Apple with Steve Wozniak. He becomes like Steve Wozniak of Variety. Uh, right. mm. <laughs> Although I don't know if that worked out too badly for Steve Wozniak. Well, I guess it could have worked out better. Mm. He could have had a lot more money. Hmm. Yep. So it's all River Raid, all the time, for you. Um, I mean, because I'm at this crossroad, I haven't worked much on it lately. Right. It's hard to get motivated. <laughs> the crossroad, the label yeah, crossroad. Well, he's overcome all the technical problems. Yeah. yeah now he gets to <laughs> the he's got other an ethical stuff. problem. Yeah. Yeah. I can't <laughs> believe there's you're having a morality issue with an Atari game. But, I mean, am I going to pull apart my own games? Not a C64 game. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, in, in my home, I have three Activision cards. You know, but I don't want to break any of them. They're all, they're all good games. Yeah, What's probably the nostalgic value too, right? Definitely the Kaboom is the most, because that's the Kaboom card that I had growing up. Can mm. you go and buy a really cheap card on eBay or something? Oh, I'm How sure much you do can. they cost? Sure, there'd be a couple of dollars. Mm. But it's the ethical problem. It's not about getting the cartridge. Even if it's the yeah, most common crappy if game. They're rubbish games, then ET is. ET not Activision, so they're kind of. Oh, it's yeah. kind of out. Fair enough. I saw a video with a guy who was um, listing all of his uh, opinions that were contrary to popular belief, and one of them was that ET is actually not that bad of a game. Yeah, I've heard that. That's what he said I haven't played it although I, I think you can't finish it which is one of the major issues with yeah it. that's kind of a problem mm. Mm. I think you can finish it oh, really? I mean but knowing how is probably I've actually realized this when I listen back to our podcast I make lots of broad assumptions <laughs> <laughs> and I just I thought that you know like before you sort of read things in places and you hear mm. things on podcasts and you go oh yeah that's interesting but then when you're making your own podcast <laughs> and you're dealing out, well, supposedly dealing out this advice, you suddenly realise how much you don't actually know. <laughs> it's all just hearsay and stuff you might have heard. And That's yeah. why we have your feedback. <laughs> exactly. Feedback. Yeah. That's yeah. why we have Mark Williams. <laughs> <laughs> and also we don't claim to be experts on anything. No. We just like to talk rubbish. Exactly. <laughs> But I think I have heard that too, that there was a problem with finishing it. But yeah, again, it might be hearsay. Knowing the source of the knowledge is just important as, as important as the knowledge itself. Hmm. Yeah. That's very deep. Because you could have heard it on an ad for Coke or something. <laughs> True. That's...
but you were just saying that you haven't had time to fiddle no. around with Real Raid, so you've got other things that you've been doing? Okay, well, and the other thing that's interesting is in the hot weather we've had lately, so my home heats up a lot mm -hmm. in the evenings, and so the best thing to do is go outside and sit on the balcony. Is that because of the weather or because yeah. of other reasons? <laughs> oh, yeah. What? <laughs> Sure what you're implying, actually. <laughs> Let's just say the ladies love the breadboard work. <laughs> so I grab my DS, and the game that's in it at the moment is Game & Watch Gallery. DS? Old DS? Oh, no, actually it's a Game Boy Advance game, but it's in the slot on the bottom of my DS. Oh. Of the original DS or a it's DS, DS Lite? Or no, well... DS Lite. Yeah, so the old... Not the 3DS. DS Lite. Not the new 3DS. No. Not the 2DS. There's so many, I know. That's so confusing. Not the 3DS XL. No. I wasn't sure if I had a new <laughs> 3DS or just a normal 3DS XL for so long. I'm yeah. pretty sure it's just a normal 3DS XL. It's really confusing because I actually bought uh, my wife, Fiona, a Christmas gift which was a supposedly a limited edition, maybe it's not, but I bought it because it looked cool. Um, a Yoshi. Mm-hmm. Uh, DS, 3DS, because she plays her 3DS all the time, like mm -hmm. just just about every day. And I thought she loves Yoshi, Yoshi, so you know I'll get this limited edition green 3DS, and it's got Yoshi running across it with some mm -hmm. eggs following him. And, and um, so yeah, she opened it up, and she, it was amazing. You know, she loved it for Christmas and all this kind of stuff. Then when we were moving data across, I think it was, that's when I found out I'd actually bought a 3DS version that was behind mm. the version that she had before. Oh. oh. So it's not an issue, mm. but some, I think it's some games on the eShop or whatever you can't mm. buy on the older 3DSs, only on the new 3DSs. Right. Okay. So I felt a little bit guilty that she had to go behind <laughs> a version because of this thing <laughs> that I bought her, but she still loves it. <laughs> Did you have that? moment where you think to yourself, I've been swindled here. <laughs> <laughs> By Nintendo more than anyone else, because yeah, it's confusing. Exactly. Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Well, I'm sure lots of people know, but I didn't know. Mm. Mm -hmm. I feel like part of this podcast is like dealing with gaming as forgetful adults. <laughs> understand what's going on. I like playing games, but... But this is what I was saying before. I thought, you know, we're, we're knowledgeable game players. Mm. But then when listening back to the podcast, I realise how many broad assumptions we make <laughs> based on what we've heard. Mm. But anyway, we don't pretend to be experts. No. Maybe we need that disclaimer <laughs> at the start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Game & Watch. Yes, Game & Watch Gallery. Mm. Yeah, on the Game Boy Advance, but I'm playing it on my DS. Does it's it have the juggling man? I think so. Um... Now I feel like I want to play that game. Yeah, but it might be a bonus game. So the reason, a part of the reason why I'm playing it now is because it's a collection of Game & Watch games, the old Nintendo mm -hmm. thingies. Hmm. And, um, but there's unlockables as well. So there's the ones you can play outright, and then after you get a bunch of scores on each game, oh, yeah, you get well, stars and it unlocks more. You mean yeah. there's achievements and goals other than just getting points? There's goals, yeah. Wow. And I, you know, I realised a few of the ones further along was games that I wanted to play, so I thought, oh, I guess I'll sit down See, and it works. So weird. get some scores and unlock some games. Yeah. Is Greenhouse in there? Yeah. Yeah, that was my favourite game on watch. I used to clock that over and over and over. Yeah. 
back so in the days cool. when the only goal was just points. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You won, air quotes, won mm. when you clocked the score over. Right. Mm. Cool. Yeah. Mm. Is that you? Yeah. All right. Okay. Who's next? Okay. Okay. <laughs> Do it. Um, so I haven't been playing a lot of games, mostly because I've had to work on uni stuff, which really slows me down. Boring uni stuff. Yeah. It is really, well, I mean, it's not. It's very enriching. And I'm, it's the best thing I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but it's man. career building, it's professional development, it's all that kind of mm. cool stuff. True. But, but it's not games. That's why I'm not doing my thesis on games to do with games. I'd really like to do research to do with games, but in my career, I feel like, making a smarter choice by not doing that hmm hmm I guess so I disagree I was just thinking I saw a one of those random posts you see in your Twitter feed of a graph showing where the video game industry is in terms of dollars compared to all the other you know industries around at the mm. moment movie industry books mm. all that kind of stuff and um and the game industry is like triple yeah. the next yeah. largest yeah. so it's huge but I don't I don't think you're going to be getting a good career in it in Australia mm. because well, think, there's mm. not many game development studios yeah. and also the government doesn't invest in it yeah I guess I guess it's not just that it's also I think the kind of research that I would like to do is probably not like I know that the, there's a lot of money in the gaming industry but I think a lot of it in terms of research would be like market research type mm. thing. I mean, I, I, I guess the idea of market research is something um, people think of a certain thing when you're talking about market research. Um, but I guess what I mean is research for marketing. So to help marketers understand how they can influence people to make certain purchases. Mm. I don't like that. Mm. I don't want to do that because I don't like influencing people to do things that they wouldn't choose to do independently hmm. and so I think that that's I, I would not like to do that I know that there's not everyone shares that feeling lots of people love that kind of thing and that's what sales is and marketing is people love to learn about how to influence other people and it's a part of life but I don't like it I prefer to encourage people to do their own research I was just trying to look up something while you're talking. Yeah, um, so I prefer to encourage people to do their own research and learn and make informed decisions based on their own learning. So um, just before you move on, the reason why I did pull out my phone was because you were talking about market research and marketing games and influence and mm. all that kind of thing. And I just finished listening to a podcast um, which is the latest episode of, I think it's the latest episode, of Arcade Attack Retro Gaming Podcast. Mm -hmm. um, and I've only just started listening to this podcast. It's a great podcast if you're into retro gaming, but the reason why I bring it up is that their latest episode is an interview with Al Nilsson, um, and he was with Sega for a long time, mm -hmm. back in the day of just as the Mega Drive mm -hmm. came out. Mm -hmm. 
and it was just a fantastic interview, really in depth about the things they did around the marketing of the Mega Drive, trying mm -hmm. to claw back market share from Nintendo. Mm -hmm. So at the time, yeah, Nintendo had 95% of the market, Sega had 5%. Okay. But by the end of our stint, mm -hmm. um, Sega was up to 60% and Nintendo 40%. Mm -hmm. He's talking about like really amazing things like Sonic the Hedgehog and how it came to be. Yeah. The decisions he made himself to to make this character what it was what yeah. it is today yeah the whole idea around sonic tuesday when sonic 2 came out mm -hmm. and the whole huge marketing push behind it it was the very first worldwide day one release mm -hmm. first one ever mm. and he came up with that idea well his yeah. team came up with that idea okay so yeah i just bring that up because it's worth a listen if yeah. you're into sega from back in the 90s mm. amazing okay I'll definitely listen to that. I think that, I guess one of the points to be brought out from that too is that I guess that marketing isn't just about influencing people necessarily. It's also about informing people, mm. you know. Um, you know, and, and in the case of Sega, I mean, we know that the differences between the market share in Australia and the US was all to do with marketing and hmm. social economics because Sega is a lot more popular in Australia and I think Europe Europe yeah from a broad assumption <laughs> from what I remember um, compared to the US like you, you've got you've got Buckley's of <laughs> of um, you know finding people that are into Sega that aren't like you know just I guess they're on the fringes compared to... I mean, everyone just is Nintendo there. Mm. Or a large percentage, a much higher big market share. Yeah, whereas in, like you say, in Europe and Australia, you're much more likely to come across someone who loves Sega and not Nintendo, simply because Nintendo wasn't a big deal mm. here. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it obviously it was, yeah. but Sega was bigger. Yeah, and it was really... Yeah, I think it's, it's all marketing, and, and obviously... We're such a small country compared to the US, you know, an international business, for them to come to Australia is such a, it's not worth money like the US is worth mm. money. So, yeah. Anyway, mm. we're trying to be brief, so. <laughs> <laughs> Never happen. <laughs> So that actually, all that stuff actually kind of links into what I was going to talk about um, that I've been doing to do with gaming, even though I haven't played much ga many games um, this last couple of weeks. Um, but something really interesting happened, which is uh, there's a website called Checkpoint or Checkpoint.org, which is um, an organization that uh, is working to inform people about mental health to do with video games. Um, so I think it's obviously it's a, a not-for-profit organization and one of their goals is to provide support to people um, to do with mental health who are also involved in gaming. Um, but I think one of the, uh, their other objectives, and this is just what I've gathered you're probably better off looking at their actual website to see, you know, hear from the horse's mouth, so to speak. But um, I think one of the other objectives is to establish um, 
research evidence about video games and its effects on people that is different from the historical idea that basically video games are bad for people's health. Mm. Um, so obviously being gamers, we all understand that it is possible to, to play a lot of video games and have a balanced life. Um, but if you look at the history of research in you know, psychology and psychiatry, all you'll find is evidence that shows that video games are bad for people's development and for their mental health. I think what you have to understand though, looking at that is that nothing exists in a vacuum and that research is created by people who aren't, don't necessarily understand video games and they're also mm. part of a conversation that has begun looking at the negative effects. Um, they are asking questions like, do games cause people to be more violent mm. and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I'm trying to think what the best way to explain it is. But um, basically, I think that it's easy to find what you're looking for, you know, when you're looking for it. And research, you know, scientific research should be resistant to that because the idea is to look for the truth. And I guess the truth is that there are definitely people out there who would be influenced by games. But I think that the main point that um, Jennifer Hazel, who's running Checkpoint, is trying to make is that like playing games in and of itself doesn't involve negative consequences. So it's not just the game that's creating that negative consequence. It's to do with the person that's playing the game. So... Um, I think that is really an important point to take away from the research that they're doing and I guess mm. what they're trying to establish, mm. um, apart from also looking at things like how games can be helpful for people's mental health. Mm. So at, at the moment, what's happening is they've actually got a video series that's being released on YouTube um, twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays. And I think there's like four or five episodes out so far. I'm not sure how many there are. I think there might be 12 or something like that. So it's still going at the moment. Um, and if you just search for Checkpoint on YouTube, you'll find it. Hmm. Um, and it's really interesting. There's, they have some people from different um, game developing country uh, companies talking about mental health stuff. So if you're interested in that, that's really good You know, to hear about challenges that other people have deal, dealt with. So one of the gut people was Ken Levine, who's oh, yeah. the guy who um, ran the, the developing studio that did Bioshock. Mm. Um, and I actually really liked what he had to say. I think his input into the series is really good so far. And it was only, they must have interviewed over Skype or something because it's just audio interview. But yeah, he had some really, really cool things to say. He's and a good speaker. Right, okay. Yeah. Have you heard him speak before? I mean, yeah, I've heard him um, also interviewed on various podcasts and right. game shows and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, because what I got from him was like, it just sounded very authentic and grounded. And to me, it made me feel like he really understood, you know, kinds of challenges that people face and that he's experienced them himself and actually spoke about things that he did to overcome those challenges. So. Mm. 
it wasn't just it's not just like oh yeah you know it's challenging it was like oh I, I did this and I found that it worked you know and it's just good to realize that even people who are successful still face challenges like that so mm-hmm. yeah it was really good um, so yeah awesome series I couldn't recommend checking it out enough even if you're someone who hasn't really doesn't really face issues like that it's good to be able to understand the things that other people face so Mm. um yeah the other thing i wanted to mention about it is that people might say you know they do seem to have negative effects because you look at say like people who are playing world of warcraft for hours and hours on end we could Um, talk about that a little bit yeah yeah um experience yeah i mean i guess that's one thing that that i probably wanted to mention too like i I think that I looked at at stuff Checkpoint was doing and part of my first reaction was, well, it does seem to sometimes have negative effects because, um, you know, I've had experiences that have been negative Hmm. um, and I've thought about it a lot just over the last couple of weeks. Like, for example, I've got (laughs) a group of mates who I play Counter-Strike with who are actually a little bit, not annoyed, but... They want me to play, and I basically had to say to them, like, I can't play. Mm. <laughs> and then they listen to this podcast and go, you're playing, like, 50 million other games. Why can't you play <laughs> Counter-Strike? And I'm like, well, I really want to, but I can't play Counter-Strike. And the reason is because I think it's got to do with my personality. And when I play that game, I, it makes me want to play more. So it's something to do with the skill that's involved and my competitive um, personality. Um, When I play games like first-person shooters, especially when they're in such a competitive environment, um, something like Counter-Strike, it's all skill-based. It just makes me want to play it more because I want to get better. And the Mm. better you are, the more fun it is. Mm. And so I just want to keep playing and spend more and more time on it. But the other other aspect to that is you can get into a trap where you become a crucial member of the team and so you're relied upon to be available Mm. for matches Mm. and that can be difficult when you are trying to live maybe a balanced lifestyle Mm. or you've got other things going on in your life and then you start putting off those other things because well my team need me i need Mm. to be there Mm. Mm. yeah well see i'm not even that far yet like we're just We're just a bunch of noobs that are really crappy and too big for our booties and (laughs) we love playing together and it's the best time I have ever had playing video games uh, with games like this and like Mm. World of Warcraft and League of Legends when I really got into the games and had a group of people that I played with. It's the best gaming experiences I've ever had Mm. but I can't do it because I become so drawn in that in, ends up taking over my life and infringing on other parts of my life. And, mm. and uh, I think it says something about my personality, which is that I find it difficult to say no to something that I enjoy doing. Mm. Um, but I guess that's me growing, is saying, I'm sorry, I, I can't play because yeah. I've got to um, do other things. Mm. No, it's good. You, you do need to reach that point, come to that decision mm. and be able to pull yourself away. And it's interesting that you talk about that as saying that they're the best gaming moments for you. 
Mm. Whereas for me, World of Warcraft was the direct opposite. Wow. It was the worst. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know Matt would feel a little bit differently. But Did Matt and I used to play World of Warcraft together. Yeah. And uh, I, how long have we played that? Four years? A couple of years? Two Wait, years? I mean... Consecutively? I mean, you're probably. still playing, I think? No way. Oh, okay. Wait, okay. But you played for a lot longer than I did. <laughs> well, I had, a, I had a triumphant return at some point. Triumphant return? Well, I mean, so... There's been so many opportunities for that with all the expansions. Yeah, I know. Mm. I've had a few yeah, triumphant yeah, returns. Mm. <laughs> so, I mean, we played together really early in vanilla. Yeah. I think the original. probably only the first year and a half. Yeah, even? it was about a year and a half, two yeah. years. Yeah. And I, I did love it. I mm -hmm. really did love playing the game. It was one of the... It, it, there was nothing like it ever mm. released before then. And, and you could argue, you know, there were other... Um, what do you call them? MMOs. MMOs around, mm. but like EverQuest and so forth. Mm -hmm. But nothing that really drew in the, the mass public. Mm. Yeah. The World of, World, of, World of Warcraft did... And, you know, there may be many reasons for that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, and it, and it did draw me in, and I, I loved it for quite some time. But we had our own guild. Um, you know, we were raiding and things like this. And this was in the days of 40-man raids. And in the end, trying to organise 40 people to get in a, in a raid and coordinate together to, mm. to complete a really difficult mm. goal mm. was just a nightmare. I can't believe that it happened. Like, I, I did that. It was a nightmare. I played in vanilla as well, and later on in, like, Wrath of the Lich King, I became, like, a guild leader, um, and so I used to organise raids then, and having done that, I'm like, how the hell did my old guild leaders back in the mm. vanilla days organise 40 people? Yeah. That is insane. It was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, I've told this story a few times to people. Um, that there was one, one day where we were organising to go on this raid, getting everyone together, and, you know, and, and I just realised I felt physically ill. Mm. Physically ill. Mm -hmm. You're talking about those negative effects. Mm. This was an obvious negative effect. I was feeling physically ill, mm. thinking about getting this group of people together, doing what we needed to do. And, you know, some people invest a lot into it. Some people don't care. They're sort of there along for the ride and that mm -hmm. sort of stuff. And yeah, that's when I decided, I no, I can't do this anymore. Mm. So I quit. <laughs> and I've never, well, I have gone back since. <laughs> just dip my toe in here and yeah. there. But not in that capacity. No. Which I think is... I soloed. I, I went back yeah. and I just soloed for a little mm -hmm. while. Yeah. So I remember the stress back then as well. Like, I felt it as well. Like, when <laughs> when we did well, it was good. But when we, oh, did, yeah. when we did poorly, like, just some random day, mm. yeah. if something went wrong, yeah. I mean, we could spend eight hours trying to do something. Yeah. yeah. And in the end, everyone's just fucking pissed off yeah. and angry <laughs> and... Yeah. And usually it's towards someone who made a mistake or something like that. Yeah. And and you just go, we've spent a whole day, we've gotten nowhere, everyone's upset. This is this is horrible. Yeah. You know? So Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I think my when once I was uh, a leader, well actually I think I was just an officer, because the guild leader is the one who actually owns the guild, right? Mm. Yeah, I was just an officer. I wasn't the owner or the leader. 
Um, but yeah, we used to do raids, but it was only like 10 man, and I think we did 20 man sometimes. Mm. But we never, I think uh, the people in our guild never took it too seriously. Mm. And basically, if anyone did, they would just be gone. Mm. Um, and so no one really got too pissed off. And I think we just joked around a lot, and that's what made it really fun. That was another balancing act, though, because we did try and make that guild be more fun than, mm. than serious. We did want to try and have a casual attitude towards mm. it, but at the same time, when you have a guild as big as what ours became, it wasn't huge, but mm. it was big enough to do, you know, end raid instances yeah. and stuff like that. You have the balance of the people have been there for a long time, invested in it and want to have fun. Mm -hmm. You have the other people who you need who take it seriously and are good at what they do mm. in order to complete the things you wanted to complete. Mm. Mm. And even if you did take it casually, you still wanted to do what you wanted to do, yeah. you know, the, the end game stuff. Yeah. Yeah. At some point your characters progress to a point where you kind of have to do the raids to, yeah. to get more. Yeah. yeah. And so that's another balancing act of we want to have fun but we also need to be serious. And so that was point of contention between a lot of people because you'd have the serious players, you'd have the casual players. Yeah. So maybe that you know, that could be the difference though between doing a forty man raid and doing like a ten or twenty man raid. Just mm. just organizing yeah. that amount of people. I mean you'd have to be more stringent in terms of rules, like you have to turn up at this time mm. and then you'd have to have a certain amount of people who can step in if people don't turn up because mm -hmm. inevitably you're always going to have some people that don't turn up. Mm. So just the difference between 20 people and 40 people, that, that could potentially make the difference in uh, being able to joke around yeah. and mm. and not being able to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so it mostly yeah. does. So on yeah. my re return, which I mentioned, this was during Cataclysm, where yeah, you could do a 10-man raid and so after Lich King, I'm pretty sure the smaller raids were not getting the same kind of gear as mm -hmm. the 25, but in Cataclysm onward, the 10, the 10 was getting the same stuff. So you could, mm. you could get a group of 10 people together. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you can, you're all like-minded, basically. Mm. You, you're all on the same level, mm. if you want it to be. Yeah, and you could have a couple of replacements if someone didn't show up. Mm. So mm. it was a lot less stressful. Yeah, I don't know, it's a different game now. With yep. that being the case, you can ten man raids. Oh, okay, slightly. Okay, it's a bit funny now because they did expand the size of raids. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to do the highest uh, difficulty, it's not ten men anymore. But mm. for for three expansions in a row, it was. But also, couldn't you, in later World of Warcraft, Two. save in a raid? Yeah, yeah. Whereas <laughs> you couldn't do that back when we were playing. You couldn't. Uh, could, um, I think if you wiped. You could log back in and you're still in the instance, but didn't everything respawn, or am I imagining okay. things? Well, the, uh, okay, so it was, really, it was really poor. The, yeah, the, the, one of the bad things about the vanilla game where the trash respawned really quickly. Mm. Yeah. And then later, later on, there's less trash in the raids, so you basically walk in the door and there's a boss right in front of you. Hmm. So you kill the boss that stays dead. Mm -hmm. So... But if what you mean by saving is if you didn't complete a raid in one week, you can press a button and before the lockout or oh, you after the after the after the refresh, you can kind of get your old progression back. So mm -hmm. if you wanted to do the last few bosses without doing the first few, you could do that. Right. 
That may have been in the game early on, I don't remember now. But it made a bit more sense when there's no trash to... Yeah. You know, in your way, basically, taking mm. up most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, World of Warcraft. Oh, man. <laughs> They've had some kind of big recent release, haven't they? I noticed no, a lot it's of not coming soon. I'm pretty sure. Oh, they're talking about doing vanilla, having like a dedicated vanilla realm or something like that. Hmm. As well as the new, there will be another expansion, I'm pretty sure sometime this year, but it's not out yet. Mm -hmm. We're just making more broad assumptions. <laughs> no, well, I've read a bit about it. So I, I'm, yeah. I thought I've seen people on like Twitter and YouTube and stuff playing it, but I could be wrong. I mean, there's always a new expansion, really. Okay. But, but the newest one is now. I'm pretty sure it's over a year old. So Legion is the current mm. thingy. Yeah. They've definitely announced the next one. Maybe it's, it's just called Battle a new, for Azeroth. It could be just like a new raid or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't care. Mm. There's content releases like all the time, right? <laughs> Can't play that game. I remember when I first started playing it, I remember seeking out... I wanted an experience that would give me a whole world to explore and I wanted that time... I did. Time... Wasting is the wrong word, but I had time to spend on something like that. Mm. <clears throat> now I filled my time with other stuff. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, but yeah, really, I learnt a lot from playing that game. Just about people. Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. you do. Yeah. yeah. And um, and playing League of Legends, um, it was similar. Like I had a group of probably about. Ten, 10 guys who I just knew like some of them were friends I knew from other things and then they had friends of friends and then you get to know these people that are just like friends of friends of friends mm. that you only know online mm. um, and you play games with them a lot it's so weird having someone like that where you, you might play a game with them like almost every night or every second night you've never met them in real life mm. and they become like you kind of know them fairly well but then sometimes you might not even know what they do for work or yeah. mm. you know like there's these patches in what you know about them yeah um, and we we met many great friends through world of warcraft yeah. mm -hmm. like friends that we know in real life now as well we go to their weddings and things like this <laughs> yeah. yeah it's just yeah that bike was really loud <laughs> <laughs> that'll happen <laughs> yeah yeah, and uh, yeah, and Counter Strike's the same. Um, it's really fun when you have good games, but man, I had some shockers that just make me feel like I, yeah, really bad. And there's so many really toxic people in games like League of Legends and Counter Strike um, that uh, it can make the game just not fun at all. And lots of people doing like smurfing where they have higher ranks and they'll start a new account. So they essentially buy the game again, but with Counter-Strike now, it's like 10 bucks, so it's pretty easy mm. to do. You buy the game again, make a new Steam account, and then you have to start the ranks again. So you go from like the lowest rank, but you're so good at the game that you just cream everyone who's at the lowest rank. Mm. And as someone who's, you know, That'd be kind at of a fun. lower rank. Well, fun <laughs> as someone who is good at the game. It's fun to win, but and, and look, I don't mind it happening every now and again. And uh, I accept the challenge of, I, I like playing with people that are better than me because that's how you get better. Mm. But when you play, when you have limited time 
and you play, say you play three games in a night, each game takes like 30, 40 minutes. Mm. You've just invested like two and a half hours. And if you have three games with people like that, it's just like a waste of time. It's mm. like, what am I doing? I'm not learning anything because they're so much better than me. Mm. And also they're probably being a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, it's just, a, for me, it's like, it's, a, it's not fun. Mm. And so that's why, one of the reasons why, um, because again, that just makes me go, I need to play more to get better. You know, to have mm. fun, I need to play more to get better so that I can enjoy the game. But I just can't invest that kind of time yeah. into that game. And I think it would probably make it harder being the type of game Counter-Strike is in that if you have that really good player, you can get wiped out before you've even seen them. Yeah. And then you're out of the game, right? Mm. Whereas, like, you know, back when we used to play Quake, mm. you get killed, you just respawn again and mm. you're off again. So yeah. it's like a learning experience. Yeah. You can learn a lot more. Right. Whereas I imagine in Counter-Strike, you get wiped out in half a second mm. and then you're sort of sitting there yeah. not doing anything for a while. Yeah, it is like that. And and it's not just the time that you have to wait. It's not really the time you have to wait. It's more that you can't help your team when you're dead. Mm. <laughs> so you kind of like, it's like you wasted your life. You wasted your ability to help your teammates. So you can't help. Mm. You're dead. Mm. Um, but the other thing is that it feels like they're cheating. Like it does feel like they're cheating because you don't know where they were and mm. they're so much faster than you. Mm. Um, it often feels like they're cheating, but they're not. They're just good. They're mm. just better at the game. Mm. That's all. Um, and it's called smurfing. Yeah. Smurfing I is... I haven't heard that yeah. term before. Yeah. I like it. Yep. Is it? Why is it called smurfing? I can't, I because it's like they're going down, downgrades kind of thing. Smurfs it's like, it's like a mini a version. Small mini version of themselves okay. I think I mean I'm again just making a really broad <laughs> assumption but that's the theme of this episode yeah. we now know what we don't know at least we've moved on from the good old days theme <laughs> oh, that'll come back at some point back in the day <laughs> yeah that's what this podcast is about but uh yeah so that's I like the race mode. Yeah. To me, that's the most fun. Okay. I mean, that, yeah. It's like if if Wipeout was on Atari, <laughs> it would have been like that. <laughs> but uh, the thing I think about the race mode is that there's a top speed. You know, that you can get through almost instantly and um, just just peg your full speed most of the way. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you can clear your path effectively, then yeah there's just one speed I think it's about it's knowing the path too though like um, it's almost like speed running where they you, you figure out the the route yeah you know and I tried a few different routes but I couldn't get past um, so you're getting to the fifth bridge right yeah. yeah so I could get to the third bridge without dying but then getting through the fourth section I found really hard okay and the fifth I felt like the 
um, to getting to the fifth bridge wasn't as hard as getting to the fourth bridge, but I didn't. I guess because I didn't get past there that as much. I was trying to do it without dying because okay. that would be the fastest way, yeah, obviously. Yeah. But then again, if you die just after you destroy the bridge, then you're not really wasting any time. That's right. So I was trying to consider if yeah. that was an advantage or not. Yeah. Because put you, you, if you've blown up the bridge and hit a wall, it, it's, it's possible it's better, but I'm not sure yet. It could be. You'd lose all your speed, but it does push you forward a bit. Yeah. It might be better, but yeah. It's, I think yeah. on certain bridges, it depends on the situation because sometimes you have to slow down to dodge something. So, but then also I realized, which people who play River Raid probably already know, that the times that the enemy things move is like randomized. Yes, it is, yeah. So sometimes they'll wait longer. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you, you get to little places where you're anticipating that they're going to move and then, yeah. God, they move, 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 and they don't, and you've got yeah. to dive out of the way at the last second. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, it was fun. I enjoyed playing it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I couldn't get to the fourth bridge without dying. And I think my best was just dying once, oh, maybe twice. It'd be twice. Dying twice, like once in the fourth and once towards the fifth. But I think I did an okay time. But I know that there'll be people out there that can get there without dying. Have you done it? Yeah. Dying? Okay. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> someone right in front of me. <laughs> I can't believe you don't asked have to go far. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, so what was your I mean, best time? 41 or something? Uh, no. I think, I think, I posted on the forum, I think it's 46. All right. I think and what's the best, your best time? I think 42 ish. I, okay. I got exactly. But that. The best, the ultimate best must be around 42 or 41. Like it. Hmm. But you know I, what, why I think that would make a good um, tournament game? Because even if you could do a perfect run consistently at home, that yeah. doesn't mean you can do it in oh, a yeah. tournament setting. Because, yeah, as soon as you make a mistake in that mode, then you, it's, it could be a big setback. Yeah. yeah. And you make mistakes a lot. Yeah. Like, I have to reset a lot too. Yeah. And I think it could cause a lot of moments where everyone's watching and they're like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I think that could be a really fun tournament game. But then you could also take that and like one of the other modes and give people like aggregate scores. Yeah. And it's almost like scoring them on different skills in the game. Yeah. And then they could be ranked and then their ranks combined to create a total rank. Hmm. Total nuclear rank. <laughs> <laughs> doesn't really make any sense. Anyway, yeah, maybe we should move on to you because we haven't got right. the time. Okay. Um, so, I have been playing a metric arseload of pinball. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because you went to Adelaide of all places. I sure did. <laughs> In fact, I don't think it would be possible for, well, maybe it is, for someone to play more pinball than I played last weekend. Wow. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I did go to Adelaide. It was for the Australian Championship Series, which is, and I don't want to spend a lot of time going over mm. what I heard you tried is. to take out one of the top players in the country. Physically. Yeah. Yeah. I heard you put out a hit. <laughs> I, I might have done. That might have worked. <laughs> <laughs> so, the Australian Championship Series is... A tournament that's held every year, well, it's been going for five years now. Um, and what it is, basically, is a culmination 
of all the other tournaments that have happened in the previous year, mm -hmm. all of the ranks, all of the points that have been earned through the international body of ranking pinball players, which is the International Flipper Pinball Association. Mm -hmm. So that accumulation has or builds a table of ranked players for the year and the top 32 get invited to the ACS, the Australian Championship Series. And it's moved from state to state. So I think the first one was Sydney, then it was Brisbane, Melbourne, um, yeah, anyway, this one was Adelaide. And so, yeah, the top 32 players were invited, but some people can't travel interstate, other things happen, so they moved down the list. Now, I was, I was ranked 60th. Wow. Yeah. Now, there's a couple of reasons That's for that. a lot that. of people that can't go. Mm. You did get invited. So, sort of. Okay. <laughs> the day before. Did you just <laughs> turn up and hope that... I did just turn up, and there's a reason for that. Okay. Um, I wasn't... Is it because you're a journalist? <laughs> no, no. It's because... Well, the reason was my friends were going. Okay. And to me, the whole thing that I like about these events is hanging out with friends mm -hmm. and having a good time. Mm -hmm. um, so... I was going initially saying that I'm not going to qualify for the ACS, but I'm going to go anyway because it'll be fun. And then at some point during the time of thinking about that, I decided, oh, I'm not going to go. I, you know, it's, it's Adelaide. It's a long way. And then when, as it got closer to the ACS, more and more people that I'm good friends with were going. And I thought, you know, I can't miss this. I need to go. Mm -hmm. It's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. So book flights, accommodation, so on and so forth. And then as this was all happening, you know, the country directors are moving down the list, mm -hmm. going past the 32, up to 40s, mm -hmm. and people would be pulling out here and there. The day before the ACS was due to happen, uh, Richard Rhodes, a friend of ours, Richard mm -hmm. Rhodes, one of the best pinball players in Australia, he's mm -hmm. ranked, he has been ranked number one, riding his motorcycle somewhere and got a car door opened in front of him. Mm. So that happened. He's okay, mm. so that's good. Mm. So it's um, okay to make jokes about it. Yeah, exactly. I wouldn't be <laughs> right. making jokes about it if he actually hurt himself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, he, he's okay. And yeah, I did make the joke that I put a hit out on him. <laughs> and uh, so for that reason, I managed to qualify in the ACS. So it actually did before. directly benefit you? Absolutely. Wow. Well, I didn't know that. Sort of. <laughs> yeah. Because I was going to this thing wanting to just relax and have a good time. Mm. Then suddenly I'm in a major tournament. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I'm not going to be able to so relax and have as much as a good time. That is kind of a benefit, but it's also not a benefit. Exactly. <laughs> um, and I haven't been practicing, I haven't been playing too much, so mm. I wasn't expecting too much but at the same time as a tournament player I sort of have expectations of myself mm -hmm. like it you, you don't want to come to a big competition like this and do really bad because mm. it's just I don't know it's, I wouldn't say it's embarrassing but it's not something you want to happen mm. and um, usually People look at the ranks at the end and go oh that guy's good that guy's good Oh, Mark came 62nd. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he was better than that. And maybe people do, maybe people don't. But 
Yeah, I, I do. Right, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also at these big events, um, you do have the media there sometimes. So ABC News was there filming various bits and pieces. Um, so yeah, you want to do well. Um, it, yeah, it, what could I say? I, I mean, arguably, it's a major competition. Arguably, isn't it? Arguably. Like the biggest major competition in the country, technically? Because arguably. it's the Australian Championship Series? Because the reason why I say it's arguably that is because of the way you get into the ACS, mm -hmm. which is um, if you, for instance, turn up to 200 tournaments, you do really crap, but you know, you're still gaining those sort of half points here mm. and there for yeah. coming last or second last mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can sort of get qualified in the top 32 just by, or just through the nature of collecting a, yeah. an arse load of points. Yeah. So you could arguably say the top 32 mm. ranked at the end of the year mm. might not necessarily reflect skill. Yeah. And it also locks out players who didn't play too much during that year. Mm. But you could also counter-argument that with the people who are playing the most are probably going to be the better players anyway. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Mm. And that, yeah, even anyone who's turn, turning up to 200 tournaments, they've got to be building some kind of skill. Exactly. You know, unless they're really just getting drunk and arsing their way into the comps mm. and just losing the ball and going, oh, well, it's a bit of fun, which there are definitely people out there that do that. Mm. But if you can be bothered going to 200 tournaments, you aren't just going to your pub once a week. You're going, well, 200 days in the year is, is a lot more than once a week. Mm. Mm. So, um, well, let's say if you were going once a week, you'd have to be earning at least a couple of points. Mm. I don't know what kind of point requirement it is to get in the top 32, but you'd have to be doing decently well. You couldn't you yeah. couldn't just be you'd have to be trying for yeah. sure. So and like you said you'd you'd be building upon your skill regardless. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean look at a really good example of that is William Will Will Gill. Mm. He's someone who's gone from when I first met him he was just first getting into it, and now he he won won like a competition, didn't he? Some big competition. <clears throat> I can't remember which one it was. He won a competition. It seems better now. He's like yeah. really good now. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, and everyone. Uh, he was there. Yeah. At the everyone in the thirty-two that were there are fantastic players. Um, there's no doubt about that. Um, but yeah, so that was that was a big. Well, it was three days of pinball. There was the Friday um, when we flew in, and uh, there was a flip frenzy that night. Mm -hmm. And I've realised how much I hate flip frenzies. <laughs> you hate flip, flip frenzies. I okay. hate flip frenzies. Wow, that is that is a controversial opinion. Is it? All I've heard about flip frenzies is how amazing and fun they are. Hmm. And here you are, Mr. Mark Bell. <laughs> Saying you hate flip frenzies. I'm disliking them the more I play. I them. suppose you like dislike that software. Oh no, the software. Well. <laughs> so the guys up in Brisbane <laughs> have have made some software that makes that tournament structure work really well. Okay. Nice and smooth. Okay. Well, let's. Um, okay. Well, let's talk about the more pressing matter, which is why you hate flip frenzies. 
Well, that's a tough question. <laughs> I think it's because of the type of player I am, uh, where I like to take my time. It's all becoming clear. And I get that too, because, mm. you know, I actually found that in the flip frenzies I played, I do really bad because mm. I'm a slow ass player. Mm. Um, yeah, I think you're a similar player yeah. to me where you, you like to con try and control the game. Yep. You like to try and, you know, live catch, hold mm. the ball, line up, make your shot. Mm. Whereas there are other players who are complete flow players, mm. or what you call on-the-fly players, yeah. who are just super accurate, but they're just smashing the ball all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And I think also something that I've realised in this most recent tournament with Flip Frenzy is that I think, yes, it is built to be more approachable for the casual player mm. but if you're the sort of person or have the personality of have difficulty with crowds mm -hmm. and noise mm. you would really struggle in flip <laughs> frenzies because mm -hmm. it's it's frantic it's chaotic there's yeah. people pushing you around yeah. there's people yelling you're meeting the person every couple of minutes mm. you're saying hello you're getting mm. thrown into a game you're lining up in a queue mm. People are pushing in front of you. Mm. This particular venue, this venue was fantastic, by the way, but the Flip Frenzies had something like 70 people registered. Wow, that's a big one. Or more. It was around that. Yeah. And so even this great venue, you were literally getting pushed and shoved yeah. all the time by people trying <laughs> to get to their games. Mm. So, and I don't really have a problem with crowds, mm. but I do take a little bit, bit of time for me to mentally switch to a chaotic environment mm -hmm. so I can I can relax and be in a quiet environment and then if it's suddenly loud and all this kind of stuff mm. I just need to make that mm. conscious decision to switch into it and be okay with it yeah and then I'm all right yeah but it can still just be a bit too much mm. I can definitely understand what you mean because because not only is everything happening around you, there's always there's also a sense of urgency, and this thing goes for like three, three hours, hours, right? Yeah. So for three hours, you have this sense of urgency, and it's not only propelled by the fact that you're trying to play as many games to get as many points as you want. You have an opponent too who also wants to try and do that. Yep. And if you have someone who's in it to win it, someone one of the good players. I mean, like Paul Jones is a really good example. He was. I remember playing with him and he was just like all going for it, mm. you know. Um, and I think he even just gave up on one game because he's like, yeah, it's not worth the time investment. Yep. Um, and you're allowed to do that. Yeah. Um, but um, you're, so you're also being pressured by your opponent to mm. play mm. quickly. And there's a lot of times in Flip Frenzies when you're, you're like, oh, okay, I finished my game, I'm in the queue. Okay, there's like five people in front of me. I've got time to grab a sausage or sausage sandwich or something. Um, Go to the toilet. Yeah. Or and, but it doesn't take long. No. And then you're racing like the, back because they've called your name yeah. and like someone's waiting for you. and You just hit sausage to bread and they're calling <laughs> your name. <laughs> and you just have to leave it on a bench somewhere. Yeah. And it's yeah. got one bite out of it and you come back to it and you're like, oh, I don't know if I want this thing now. It's all soggy. <laughs> And another thing I thought of just as you were talking, which is I think another reason why I struggle with Flip Frenzy is because I I can never shut off my brain to thinking what other people are thinking. 
I'm very aware of what people are, are doing around me. Mm -hmm. And I can sort of ignore that in, in some instances, but like you were saying in Flip Frenzy, if you're playing a game and they're sort of, they're not invested in it because they think they've already lost and they want to move on. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking, well, I'm enjoying this game and I don't care, I'm going to play. Mm. I can't switch off the feeling of this guy's getting pissed off with me or, mm. you know what I mean? So there's all this sort of negative energy around as well. And mm. Yeah. Mm. I just, yeah, it, I don't like it. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. Mm. Having said that, I mean, I feel like we should talk about the things that are great about Flip Frenzy. And I think one of the things... I think the best thing is that as a tournament director, you can say, this is going to take three hours, we'll stop. Because with pinball tournaments, organizing pinball tournament, the, the hardest thing is the time requirement yeah. that's involved. Yeah. Especially, and not just that, especially the fact that if you're doing like a knockout tournament, less and less people are involved as time goes on. So. You know, if everyone's paying the same amount, like say everyone pays $10, and in a bigger comp it's going to be like 50 or could even be more money. Um, you know, once they get knocked out, that's the end of their tournament. So hmm. then they don't get to do anything. And the big ones, there's always other games to play and stuff. But if, in, if you're in a situation where the games are limited, then they can't play anymore. And so they've participated in terms of time, like say the comp goes for three hours they participated in the first hour and then they got knocked out and they paid mm. the same money as the guys that are winning and mm. so from people who are starting out from their perspective the value of money the value isn't as good which is kind of the opposite of what you want because you're trying to draw them in and make you, you want those people to have better value for money mm. and not you know the people that are already invested that are going to win the comp you've got them anyway mm. but the people that Aren't you trying to encourage them more? And that's what's awesome about a flip frenzy because they know I'm going to get to play for three hours straight as many games as I can, mm. and then also the tournament director knows it's not going to go over time because you just stop yeah. at the end of the time. Yeah. Um, and so there's so many great things about the format, and yeah. um, and it's going to be happening a lot. It's going mm. to be happening at every every major comp. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, despite those things that are, you know, not that fun about it, mm. I, I'd still definitely participate. In oh, look, I'd uh, certainly still go into Flip Frenzies mm. because they're generally there. And um, the most positive thing for me, I would say, about a Flip Frenzy is that they're usually before a major tournament. Right. So you get to play all the games and work out the feeds of the ball and how they flip and yeah. how they play and what mm. you should be going for. If you haven't played a certain <laughs> game before, you get to play it yeah. and work out what to do. Except that, that you always seem to get the same games. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, that's a pain in the ass, isn't it? There's like, there could be like 20 games and you play like eight of them, mm. <laughs> but you get the same ones multiple times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. No, it's... I'm not saying that Flip Frenzy is a bad format overall. I think yeah. it's just for no, my play that. style and my personality, mm. I don't like it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I I totally understand that. I think I just wanted to represent the positive side too. Yeah, absolutely. I don't, not that I'm sure people listen to other stuff and can make up their own minds, but um, 
Flip Frenzy is great. Mm. <laughs> so we should definitely represent the positive side of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And one, one of my best takeaways from the weekend happened in the Flip Frenzy, actually. Um, oh, you won it? No. Oh. I did poorly in it, which is another reason I don't like. <laughs> no, um, it's probably halfway through. You can't win when you play slow. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. You have to yeah. change your strategy. And I can't do it. I yeah. can't. I can't force myself to drop a game. I, I find just it like really. It. Yeah, I find it hard to to do that. Cut my losses and mm. just go on to something else. I'm mm. just like, eh, eh. yeah. So I was probably three quarters of the way through the flip frenzy, and I was struggling. Like, I had a headache. I was, I don't know. I just, yeah, I was struggling. Mm. And then Andrew Heitman, um, you know him, right, John? No. Adelaide local, he comes to some of the big tournaments. I may have met him, but state. you meet so many people. Yeah, you do. But um, yeah, he just appeared behind me in this, in amidst this massive chaos going on, and I'm in the <laughs> middle of a game, and he taps me on the shoulder, and I turn around, and he says, "I thought you might like a beer." <laughs> and he just hands me this beer, and I was like, "Yes, I do want a beer. This is amazing. <laughs> Thank you." And it was kind of half a joke because what he was giving me was the worst beer in Adelaide. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like a funny thing, you know, here's a beer and, you know, try and enjoy it. Um, <laughs> you just try and enjoy it. <laughs> we'll see how you go. <laughs> and it was literally the worst beer I've ever had in my life. It was, it was terrible. Mm. But just the, the act of someone like that, who I meet probably twice a year, mm -hmm. doing something as a joke and just as a sort of a friendly gesture, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it just made me really happy because mm. it's like you make these friends from going to these tournaments, mm. um, yeah. and you, I don't know, you don't see them much, but they become such good friends. Yeah. So yeah, I really enjoyed that. That's definitely the fun thing about being a part of those things. You know, the good thing about flip friends is that you do get to talk to lots of different people mm. and play with different people, mm. and some people want to talk and some people don't but um, you meet some really cool people mm. Mm. at those things yeah so um, after that flip frenzy we had the qualification for the actual main ACS on the Saturday morning up until Saturday afternoon mm -hmm. I won't go too much into that but um, that was a that was a long day of pinball but it's all match play so my sort of style of play where you get to take your time mm -hmm. you get put into groups then you go and play your your games and then where you rank amongst your three other players is how many points you get in a round mm -hmm. and after all the rounds are finished you're ranked against everyone else and the top 16 go through to the finals for the next day mm -hmm. Sunday morning um, and then there was a three strikes knockout that night which went till late I got an hour's sleep and got up on Sunday. Actually, no, that's wrong. I got an hour's sleep on the Friday night. <laughs> Saturday night, I got a bit more sleep. So the next, on Sunday, then it was the finals of ACS. Yeah. Yeah. I was a bit tired. <laughs> um, I couldn't function. Yeah? I would have been like, go without me. <laughs> I'm staying here. I woke up really energised, actually. It was bizarre. That's because you didn't actually sleep. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. You More just tricked likely. your body. You probably, you would have got up and then 
about 45 minutes after you got up, you probably felt terrible. No, I was actually all right. Okay. Yeah, I was fine. I'll stop making bold <laughs> assumptions. And I don't know why, but yeah, maybe it was the whole adrenaline of the whole thing. Must have been. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that night there was a three strikes tournament, then the Sunday there was the finals, finals rounds. And then after the finals <laughs> rounds, there was another flip frenzy. So we're talking three days wow. of full-on pinball. Full-on points generation. Hmm. <laughs> and uh, so I did terribly in the two flip frenzies and terribly in the three strikes. I qualified seventh in the ACS qualifications, mm. which is probably one of the best qualification rounds I've had. But then I got knocked out in the first round of the finals. Maybe we should mention for anyone who's not into pinball, competition pinball, because mm -hmm. I guess there'd be people who are just into video games that are listening to this. Yep. Um, when, when there's a big comp, they often run a lot of side comps because they try to create as m many opportunities to build tournament points. Yep. They're called WAPA points because it's, what is it, World... W-P-P-R, World Pinball Player Rankings. Yeah, so the whole idea is that every time you play in a competition, it's almost like an opportunity to prove the skill that you have. And so your finishing position in the competition will earn you a certain amount of WAPA points and that will give you a world ranking, mm. which can qualify you to be in an ACS yeah, you know, right. or other competitions. Um, so all tournament pinball players try to build as many WAPA points as they can. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it's a lot of the time it's just about getting to as many competitions as you can. Mm. But you also do need to have a decent result because it, yep. there's, there's kind of an exponential effect. Like the, the person who comes first will get a certain amount of points and then the second player gets like half that. Yeah, the third right. player gets half what the second player gets. So if the whole competition is worth 10 points, first position gets 10, second gets five, third gets like two and a half. Mm. And then, so whoever comes 10th is basically nothing. It's like yeah, it's point right. something, one zero or something. Yeah. So it's not worth that much. You want to get like top five finish for it to be worth something. But then the more people in the competition, the more games that are played, the more the, the tournament is, can be worth. So the big tournaments yeah. might be worth like, well, international tournaments might be worth like 100 points. Yeah. Um, national tournament might be worth 60 or something like that and then mm. the side ones can be worth like 25 or well yeah. they can be worth just as much as the main comp yeah they, they can be a flip frenzy this is another thing about that that um, format is that because so many people are involved and so many games are played it boosts the value of yeah. the points that you can score yep. the only thing is that there's a rule that says it has to be matched direct match play so you have to have a playoff at the end for from the top ranked players. Didn't mm. they must have done that for the flip frenzy? No, they didn't. No, I could be wrong. Flip frenzies, you don't usually have a playoff. It's usually I think they mine the most amount of points just from the amount of games that are played. Maybe it is counted as match play. And um, with that, with those flip frenzies having so many registered players. Mm. I think the guy at the end of the tournament said there was over 600 games played wow. in, in a three-hour period. This is a lot of games. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I got taken out in the first round of the 
the finals, I was playing Jason Lambert, mm-hmm. our friend from Brisbane. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a five bank game. Mm-hmm. So because I was because I qualified higher, I got to choose the first game. He got to choose the second game. I choose the third. He chose the fourth. I choose the fifth. Mm-hmm. So I get to choose three. He get to chose two. Mm-hmm. And I won on my two choices, he won on his two choices, so I came down to the last game. And I stupidly picked against my better judgment, which usually I... (laughs) Which in hindsight seems so obvious. I know, yeah. (laughs) But I went against one of my own rules, which is to play to my strengths. Mm. And instead I picked a game that I thought Lambo, Jason Lambert, Mm. would be worse on, Mm. because he's more of a flow player, he'll just fire the ball around. Um, whereas I'm more of a control player, so I thought, I'm going to pick a creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm. Because that game can punish you if you're just trying to play flow. There's a lot of posts. Yeah, If you miss, you can be punished. Yeah, if you miss and hit one of those posts, you can just send it straight down the middle or down the sides. So... And also, I was playing that game like garbage for the entire weekend. So why I chose (laughs) it? It was a... Well, it was against your better judgment. I mean, we've already established that. Yeah, it was a stupid thing to do. (laughs) Now, did I have a question? Mm -hmm. This particular creature from the Black Lagoon, did it have the free pass, dead pass, which is what I mean is when it comes Mm. down through the pops and then drops towards the right flipper, Mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, creature from the Black Lagoon games... You can just do no flip, dead pass. It'll bounce off the right flipper, onto the left flipper, and then back onto the right flipper, and then mm-hmm. you can just catch it. Yep. Did it do that? To a degree. Uh, if you gave it a, a nudge on the right-hand side of the cabinet mm-hmm. as it was looping around that mm-hmm. right loop, mm-hmm. then I found it probably 90, 90%, 95% would bounce off the right flipper, mm-hmm. go over to the left, and then you could shoot from the left. It wouldn't bounce okay. back again to the right, okay. but you can shoot from the left. It's a bit of a tougher shot from the left. Yeah, but it can be done if you yeah. find where it is. Yeah. But sometimes it can be hard to find because it's got that ramp over it that blocks your vision of where the shot is. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But no, I just played it badly. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I can't, I can't blame my bad choice because, you know, hindsight and all that kind of stuff. But yeah. also, if I didn't choose Creature... I would have chosen Guardians of the Galaxy, mm. and that was one of Lambo's picks, and I lost on that game. Yeah. So, you know. Did you know the rules, rules to the game? The rules at the moment, you just shoot up the center. Okay. Because it's there's so little code in there. Yep. That you're better off just going for multi-ball straight up the center, and right. that's all you do. So, for anyone that doesn't know, Guardians of the Galaxy is the most recent game from Stern Pinball, and. Um, they often release the games with rules that aren't quite complete. So when they first come out, there's usually a very obvious strategy that's the best strategy. And, um, yeah. Yeah. And with Guardians, it's shoot straight up the center. Mm-hmm. But yeah, sometimes when the game's so new in a comp, no one knows the rules. So mm. everyone's getting really crappy scores and you'll have like one person that knows what to do mm. that just destroys everyone else. I remember when... The Walking Dead came out. It was a situation like that when we had a competition at Kuji, and everyone played it. And there was one person that scored like 80 million points, 
and everyone else was on like 10, 5 million. And I remember I came, I think it was second or third and all my points were just the skill shot because <laughs> I just knew that no one knows how to play this and I know the skill shot is worth like one and a half million. Yeah, that's right. So if I just make sure I get the skill shot, yep. even if I get nothing else, I should get a decent ranking. Yep. <laughs> and I think I got like eight and a half and I came second or third mm, on mm. that, which is so dumb, but that's just the way it was. No one knew how to play it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so Paul Jones went on to win that comp, actually. Mm-hmm. So congratulations to Paul Jones. He really deserved that win. He was playing really well mm-hmm. the entire weekend. Um, mm-hmm. And Marty Robbins from mm-hmm. the Head to Head podcast, he came second. Yeah. He played really well as well. I think so, he yeah. must be playing so much because he's streaming twice a week. Mm. So he's playing at least like three hours twice a week. Mm. Maybe he must be playing more than that because mm. he's playing in other comps and stuff too. Yeah, that's what makes you a better player. Just playing more. What about the X factor? Yeah, and then there's the X factor, <laughs> which Marty clearly has. Clearly, in many respects. Yeah, <laughs> he's also a good podcaster. Correct. Mm. It's a great podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so that was the ACS. It was a, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the games there was Alien. Yeah, yeah, a game that not many people have played because it's brand new from a brand, well, not really a brand new pinball manufacturer. Mm-hmm. They've made one before, but Alien, yeah, I don't think there's many up there at mm-hmm. all. I think it's the only one in Australia, maybe. Yep. So ask me anything about Alien. I've heard some really mixed reviews, but I feel like it's been improved a lot recently. Hmm. And again, we're probably only going to make broad assumptions about this. So we should probably just talk about your experience specifically. Hmm. Um, yeah, so playing it for the very first time this weekend, obviously. And I really loved it. Hmm. I really enjoyed it. It's I I'm very excited about the theme. I think it's the a theme great works. theme for a pinball machine. Yeah, and the theme works. It's uh, the call-outs mm-hmm. are fantastic. I mean, you know, game over. There's so game many. Over are, they, yeah. are they straight out of the movie? Or? Yeah. yeah. There's so many great call-outs yeah. from those movies. So many awesome quotes, so yeah. many awesome scenes. And because you've got that massive LCD yeah. in the, in the yeah. head box, you, it's a fantastic game to watch as well when you're not playing because you're just watching all these mm. awesome scenes play yeah. out. Even the sounds from those movies to me are so iconic. Like the mm. sound of the pulse rifle. And, oh yeah, yeah. You know, and the sound of the like um, what is it, the sonar or something yeah. going? Yeah, it's yeah. it's really cool. Is and, uh, there? I know. I think there's some licensing issues with Sigourney Weaver, but is there the "get away from her, you bitch" line? Surely that's got to be in there. Didn't notice it, but there's probably a lot of call-outs I didn't notice. It was very loud. You do know in, the in line I'm room. talking about. Oh, yeah, of though. course. Yeah. yeah. I bloody hope so. I know the movies <laughs> very well. <laughs> <laughs> um, it shot really well. Flippers felt really good. Mm. Um, it felt well made. Mm-hmm. The modes were fun. One thing that I particularly noticed, which is kind of weird, is the pop bumpers. The pop bumpers are the little alien eggs yep. and they're lit up with a green light that sort of mm-hmm. moves around a little bit 
then depending what mode you're in, sometimes the light would shine into it red, mm -hmm. and it makes it look like something's in there moving mm. around. It just looks fantastic. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was really impressed with that game. Really, that really cool. impressed. And everyone that I talked to that played it, even Matt Venables, and he can be pretty critical of new games, he said he really liked it as well. So, mm. yeah. That's awesome. Mm. I, yeah, I don't know. I did hear some negative things, but I think it was to do with just the fact that mechanically it had some problems early on. I've so heard there's been mechanical problems even now. Like okay. Stacey Borg, friend of the show, Stacey <laughs> Borg, <laughs> he was there as well. And after I made my comments on Twitter about what I thought of Alien, Stacey talked about how there were a number of issues during the weekend with the game. Mm -hmm. And I didn't see anything myself, but you know, I'm sure it actually happened. I think I do remember the glass being off a couple of times. Yep. So I have heard that criticism, but at the same time, I don't know a pinball machine that doesn't have problems. True. I mean, during that weekend, lots of games were going down. Mm. Like Pirates of the Caribbean was there, that was going down. Yeah. They get absolutely dialed in those weekends. Star Trek. Yeah. That's not a particularly complicated game mechanically. No, that's right. Yeah. Unless we're talking about next gen Star Trek. No. And that's no, the, the new one. Yeah, yeah, the new one, yeah. 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 Hmm. And I think that's really me. Well, I'd be just excited pinball. to play that. Mm. Yeah, I'd recommend it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, well, I had just watching stuff on YouTube, so I guess, you know... I mean, honestly, I did play a few games, but nothing significant to talk about. It was mostly uh, buying, <laughs> buying games. <laughs> Someone did get... Actually, yeah, I have to mention, thank you, Kate, very much for giving me that PS2. It's really exciting. Mm -hmm. I've got two games on it so far. A friend of mine, Kate, gave me a PS2. Oh, right. Um, the PS2 has a lot of games on it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's so it's a, a good lot. thing. It's a good thing to have in terms of like functionality because there's so much out there to play. Um, and it came with two games, FIFA 2004, which I noticed had the sticker on it from EB pre-owned. One dollar that one cost. Oh, nice! Uh, and yeah. FIFA 2006 was the other game. <laughs> Two dollars that one cost. <laughs> so, yeah. But hmm. I got Time Crisis and I got a Capcom versus SNK. Hmm. So, nice. And there's plenty more great games out there. Oh yeah, you might have to go through um, Silent Hill 2, one of my favourite yeah, games maybe. of all time. I think I'll be too scared. Oh yeah, you don't Can't like play scary, scary games. games. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Um, did we want to call it there? Yeah, well we're on two hours and four minutes. Yeah, we've certainly gone over what we plan to do. Yeah, so we call it. Mm -hmm. Alright, uh, thanks for listening to Game the System podcast. If you would like to contact contact us <laughs> if you'd like to contact us the best place to do that is on Game the System forums at gamethesystem.co mm -hmm. uh, you can also reach out to us via email at feedback at gamethesystem.co that email address works now <laughs> I realised after we posted the second episode and I said email us at that address I hadn't actually set up that address yet <laughs> it's set up now 
you didn't realize it because Mark Williams tried to send an email to feedback at Kansas <laughs> like No. And then had to text message you saying, I tried to send an email and it bounced. <laughs> Uh, but yes, that email address is active now. Feedback at gamethesystem.co. Mm -hmm. You can catch me on Twitter at marks underscore, underscore I'm having trouble talking. Marks <laughs> underscore tweet. That's M-A-R-C-S underscore tweet. And John and Matt, I suppose you can still be just contacted on the forum. Yes. Yeah, yeah, forum. Yeah. I'm on Twitter too. It's at JagoJP. A-A-G-O-J-P. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which and is... And your... How do you pronounce this? Fuego? Yeah. On the forum? Yep. Okay. That's the um, the the Mexican version of Jago. Fuego. I see. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And your Matt BSS on the forum. Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time. Bye. 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 Shut up and sit down. Shut up.